All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Can you see it? The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, at arm's length. To the line, Hughes, scores! You're listening to Canucks Conversation. Quinn Hughes beat reporter here. Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted him in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. What a don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season Capital H Capital S. That will get you five dollars off your order at ZephyrEpic.com. Z E P H Y R Epic. 
on all platforms. They've got you covered with your trading card needs. Anything you need, Zephyr Epic has got you covered. Whether it be the Pokemans, the Yu-Gi-Oh cards like Faber Likes, the hockey cards, the basketball cards, whatever it is, Zephyr Epic has got you covered. Go visit their retail location as well. A little voice crack there, retail location uh, in Surrey. You can go check them out. The best part about Zephyr Epic, and by now you know this, is that they ship free anywhere in Canada on any order over $50 from... From Abbotsford, British Columbia. Beautiful place. Check out Lou's Diner. Excellent place for good wings. They got the uh, peanut... Spicy peanut Thai wings. That's a flavor you don't see everywhere. Abbotsford to Anaheim. Like that? Anaheim, Saskatchewan. How's it spelt? The same way? Anaheim, like you would spend Anna. A-N-N-A-H-E-I-M. Anaheim, Saskatchewan. Which means Anna's home is what the translation is from German. Anaheim. Anna's home. 210 people there. In uh, in Anaheim, it's, is you know, there a post office there? I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you about the post office situation. You don't get all that uh, all that type of information with the research you, I do. But I'll tell you what. Okay, go ahead. Two hundred and ten people. That's the last uh, census we got. Twenty sixteen. You so already told us that. Who knows? Did I tell you how many people are there? Already? Yeah, there was already. You said that, and then you had this big build up to say it again. Oh, okay. Okay, regardless. A well, fun hey, game to play. A lot Sorry. of people there. They uh, what did we talk about last week? We talked uh, come by chance. They had a good. Uh, they're rich over there. I don't know. I think they might be doing all right uh, in Anaheim as well. They got uh, the heavy machinery manufacturer, Dopker Industries, Real semi trailers, Real Housewives of Anaheim. Yeah, they. Uh, it's lots of uh, machinery being built there, which is the community's main employer of those two hundred ten people. I don't know what percent of people work there. Uh, but uh, yeah, looks looks pretty cool. They got one school, one school in Ana- Anaheim from Ooh. pre-K to grade twelve. Yeah, that doesn't surprise Not me. Not quite a hundred students at this uh, at this school. From it's a little strange to me. You say you're in grade eleven, and I guess this is like a lot of Saskatchewan towns, right? I've you know my family's from Saskatchewan. A lot of them are. Um, seen some towns like this driving by and visiting family. But it's got to be weird. You're sitting there. You're in grade 11. You're in grade 12. You're going on lunch. And there's a bunch of five-year-olds running around. Nope. So so, so let me tell you about this. Right, I used go. to go to a school that was K-12. to Did you know this? For my kindergarten year, I went to a school that was K-12. to You grew okay. up in Saskatchewan, Quads. No. Oh. I went to a school that was K-12 to for my kindergarten year before switching to a school in beautiful North Burnaby, as many people know. But I went to this school. And it was K to 12. I was in kindergarten. And I'll tell you what, I know now it was K to 12. I did not realize it was K to 12 when I was in kindergarten. The oldest kids you would see was grade three. And that was like my brother. And I think that's why I saw them. They basically split the school up into sections. In my experience is like, you know, you have staggered lunch breaks and stuff. So you're not all out at the same time on the playground or whatever. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. Smart. You don't want to get on the basketball court, start playing a little hockey, maybe a little exactly. road hockey. You got five year olds running around. Can't be 18 doing year olds running around. I don't think so. I went it's a to liability. A, I went Although to a I bet you in Anaheim, Saskatchewan, that they yeah. might do that. They might. How do you think Luke Shen got to start? Get those five year olds, uh, get them, you know, see the tough corners, see what it's like yeah, to go up exactly. against the junior kids. I went to a Montessori when I was, uh, I think that's a fancy school, right? Fancy school before preschool. Is that what those are? Isn't it called a Montessori? Yeah, that's what I went to. You said Montessori. Well, whatever. That's what we call them on the island. Okay. It's, uh, learned a little bit of Chinese there, but oh. I remember that. Which, like Mandarin? 
Yeah, nice. I think so. I can't remember. Do I was remember like four years old. Mandarin? Um, and how? Okay, I can't fact check you. On means that. it's it's good. Okay, but my uh, my Mandarin not great. Okay, this started as a Zephyr Epic ad read. I'm we'll gonna move to the on. Other now. one, then get to the next okay. uh, ding dong. It. Let's go. I had something funny to say. Ding dong it. Well, yeah. Now I'm going to DoorDash. I guess. Okay. We're also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Ding dong. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital D's, to get 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, Well, folks. you know what? It does get much better than that. I used DoorDash the other day. I don't know. So we got, what, 25% off our first order? That's what I got? Yeah. yeah yesterday, I'm on DoorDash, as I usually am, and I got a 50% off uh, discount for this Dash Mart. You see DoorDash is launching this. They got Dash Mart. You can just get groceries and all this stuff. I don't know where they're wow. keeping all this food. 50% off. So I'm thinking, you know what? You, normally, you pay a little extra for like the fees and delivery charges. You got to tip the driver, all that stuff. I was like, if I get enough stuff here, like $40 worth of stuff, pay 20 bucks for it, probably saving money in the long run because I don't have to use any of my gas, which is at a freaking premium right now. Yeah, no kidding. To, to just drive around anywhere. So I got the DoorDash app, ordered groceries on there the other day. got $41 of stuff for like 21 bucks. Nice. Yeah, it was a steal. I got uh, some pretzel buns, my favorite. Nice. Bunch of, uh, bunch of other stuff. Some grapes. Beautiful. Back bacon. Excellent. Yeah. So door, uh, DoorDash Dash Mart, something like that. Interesting. I so what's the that. so we say 25%. We want the 50% off discount. Talk to your, your people at DoorDash here. Yeah. Get them on board. I'll get in their ear. Yeah. Get in their ear. Tell them we want the 50% discount. We want to be hooking people of uh, Lower Mainland, Calgary, Toronto, all of our listeners. We want to hook them up. 50% all right. off. Convo DD. It's 25 right now, but let's get it up to 50. Absolutely. Okay. That ad read alone took us eight minutes uh, as it so often does. So we should break down this episode a bit, Chris, because today we will be joined by projected first round pick, late first round pick likely, Owen Pickering. Who I know absolutely nothing about. He's a defenseman, right? Yes, he is a very big defenseman. Uh, joining us from the Swift Current Broncos. Played with uh, Canada the U18s. Kind of quarterback their power play. Big body. Grew a ton in the past couple of years. And uh, a good interview with him coming up. Yeah, I'm excited for it. Before we get to that, I want to quickly discuss something I wrote at Canucks Army. Because I was talking about predictions for this offseason. Chris, do you have any predictions for this offseason, when you kind of look at where the team is right now, Jim Rutherford had a very, um, you know, a very telling interview on the Daily Faceoff Rundown podcast, which we'll break down on the other side of our interview with uh, Owen Pickering. But that that kind of changed a few of the things that I wrote in this article because yeah, I've been what, working on it for a bit. Being honest, you got a lot in that article. I want to get to a lot of that on the other side. Let's spend a bunch of time. On that, on the other side, let's go to the interview first. Sure. Let's go we'll to Pickering and uh, we'll talk about Pickering on the other side. We'll wrap up the Pickering uh, interview and then uh, let's get into your big article there. But let's just go straight to it. We, we You're wasting too much time here on these intros here. You start going what, you on wanna these... go. You want to go to Pickering right now? Yeah, I want to go to Pickering right now. Okay, here is Owen Pickering. All right, guys, we're very excited to be joined by our next guest here as we continue to roll through first rounders from the 2022 draft. We are joined by the big defenseman, Owen Pickering. Owen, how you doing, man? Good. How about you? Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, man. We're excited to get you on. And I call you the big defenseman, but uh, from my understandings, you grew quite a bit. You weren't always a big defenseman. Can you tell me about this growth spree? I'm sure it's something that you get asked about a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do get asked quite a bit about that. Uh... My growth spurt, I was uh, 5'7", my back in the year. So uh, the 2018-2019, my grade 9 year, was 
five seven. I remember lying um, on the sheet, putting my weight down. <laughs> I wanted to 130 pounds. My I uh, was not 130 pounds yet, so I ended up putting 125 or something. So I was, yeah, five seven, one twenty five, and then um, after that, it was it was gradual. Uh, once you kind of start developing, I didn't hit a huge spurt um, until my 16 year old year. So um, my first U18 year, uh, right before I or a few months before I went to the bubble, uh, that's kind of when I when I hit that little kind of three inch spurt. And uh, obviously, there's there's challenges that come with that. Uh, kind of you spend a lot of time in the training room you feel like you may never uh, be healthy again in terms of your body your knees and your back kind of aren't agreeing with you but um you get through it through a lot of kind of uh, work on mobility and stuff and i i always felt like i played a lot of sports growing up so i feel like my coordination is pretty good and then that never really changed so um that was obviously positive and, and now here i am i'm still growing a little bit uh, i was six three and a quarter at the start of the year and uh, 6'4 now, so I'm slowing down, but we'll see where I end up. What other sports did you play growing up? Oof. Uh, I played baseball. Uh, baseball was kind of the big one. I was uh, lucky enough to represent Team Manitoba, um, 13U Nationals. Uh, played AAA ball for, for four years. Um, and then just like everything kind of at school. Uh, never like incredible at anything. But I was good. Uh, pretty athletic kid, I like to think. So uh, kind of the badmintons, the volleyballs, the basketball. Um, let's say my weaknesses would probably be golf and then soccer. Um, but other than that, uh, I like to think I'm a I'm pretty good basketball player for, for like like low standards, obviously. I'm not going <laughs> to uh, go out and dice up anybody. But uh, I like to think I'm, I'm not bad. And uh, I think it helped me, obviously, kind of with this growth spurt, you know, obviously coordination is a big thing and then being mobile. So uh, my parents always uh, pushed all of us, my siblings too, and to, to play other sports and uh, to participate in school sports whenever we could. And uh, I owe us and they, they made a lot of drives out to, to come get us later than when the bus take us home. So I'm appreciative of that. And obviously it's paid off a little bit. And you kind of mentioned it there, mobility, coordination. What are some of the other challenges that you found when we're talking about hockey, of course, here, um, yep. you know, as you're growing and still growing your game as well? Um, I, I think it wouldn't be kind of the conventional ones. Uh, like kind of, I know when some guys grow, uh, the classic would be like you turn into kind of a lumbering skater. Um, I was never the most powerful skater when I was younger. Uh, obviously, I didn't develop hip puberty um, till later. So uh, I was never the most powerful skater, never the most powerful kid. Um, I think when I grew, it almost helped my body a little bit. Um, obviously, being hurt and stuff wasn't great, but I got to lengthen my stride. And uh, along with developing, I, I got a little bit more explosive. Um, so I was able to kind of go into my skating stride a little bit. and. Another thing I would say to that would be um, when you when I was younger. So if I was if I was working on my game uh, either with my dad in the backyard or uh, a couple skills guys. Maybe I would I would always like, when you're a smaller defenseman, you look at the smaller defenseman like Quinn Hughes. Like you got to be extremely mobile, um, kind of that shiftiness and uh, really good offensively uh, to kind of beat out the bigger guys. Um, so I feel like I tried, I tried to mold my game um, into that smaller defenseman uh, type of proto, prototype, I guess. Um, 
And then I think when I grew, I, I kept that mobility. I, I kept that shiftiness and, and kind of that side of my game. So I feel like I'm not just kind of like a big lumbering defenseman. I'm 6'4", almost 6'5". So um, I, that, I am, I'm tall, but I, I do feel like I, I have shiftiness and mobility and, and uh, kind of that small, some of the smaller defensive skills per se. I think that's what's kind of impressed us from watching your game tape is seeing the way that you you do carry the puck up with a lot of confidence. And I know, you know, you look at guys that are 6'4", 6'5", especially in the WHL, a lot of them have to lean on their physicality and just how they how strong they play in corners. But for you, like you mentioned, it kind of growing up younger and being being a guy that wants to be a mobile defenseman with the size that you had, like, is that something that's just kind of helped you now that you've been able to gain the size? Like, it is kind of strange to see, you know, a big six four defenseman, probably six six on skates, gliding through the neutral zone the way that you do. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I, I do, I do think it's helped me because, um, obviously, I have a longer stick. I feel like uh, my stick defensively is a strength in my game. Um, kind of leverage on guys. I, I think. I think like when you you talk about you know, some use that example there you see six five guys in the dub and uh, junior hockey in general and they're they're leaning on their physicality. I feel like that's the area of my game that can grow the most. Um, so I uh, feel like in a couple of years uh, when I'm when I'm more physically developed and obviously I'm 178 pounds right now, so um, I'm not the not the most filled out. But uh, once you once I see myself kind of putting on that muscle and um, just getting stronger and more developed, I feel like when I can kind of close plays faster in the corner and uh, and be able to kind of pin guys, um, I think that that'll kind of take my game to another level. Before you went to the WHL, I want to hear a little bit about uh, the Winnipeg program that you're with, the academy there, Rink Hockey. Can you tell me a little bit uh, about that academy, Where you like who you learned from, what you learned from there, and just kind of the their overall experience with that academy? Uh, yeah, I had a great experience there. Um, RHA or in Cocky Academy in Winnipeg, based at a shop free school. And then uh, you train skates and uh, play uh, out of the rink training center 10 minutes from, from Shaftesbury. So uh, how it would work is uh, we'd go to school. So that was my grade 10 year. Um, so I'd head to school uh, in the morning, um, kind of do the normal first three classes. And then at lunch period, we would... Uh, hop on a bus and head over to the rink. Uh, from there, we'd either skate or work out, uh, depending which one was first on the schedule. Uh, so we'd get those done, and then usually we'd have study hall or team video or something. So that was kind of an everyday thing. Um, I think the biggest thing that helped me from there uh, was the working out, the getting more explosive. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, was, that was a huge, huge asset to me um, for going there because obviously that was that was one of my weaknesses uh, glaring weakness at that point I feel like I wasn't the best skater um, so I, I worked hard uh, and, and I feel like I, I saw a lot of improvement there um, and then it's, it's great development too on ice um, a lot of great coaches um, they know what they're talking about and uh, a lot of experience so uh, I had a great experience there I don't know. You got into your rookie year last year in the WHL, only getting into the 23 games there because of the, the strange situation that we had going on with the double. What was that like for you to kind of experience what WHL hockey is like in, in a lot of empty buildings and bubble situations? Yeah, for us, um, I was in one building. We were in, we were in Regina. Uh, one, uh, we were in University of Regina dorms, uh, taking bands back and forth from the rink. Uh, it was, it was an experience. It's, it's something that I'll never forget. And honestly, looking back, uh, 
I'm, I feel privileged that I was able to, to experience that. Not a lot of people can uh, look back in 20 years and say, yeah, I was part of the bubble year. So, uh, it was, it was weird kind of wearing masks everywhere. Uh, not really allowed to congregate with your teammates, uh, testing all the time and then playing in front of nobody. Uh, so I, I guess one thing that I'd say about that is that didn't really bother me at the time. Uh, I looked up and saw NHL scouts in the building and that was, that was crazy to me. Uh, you could see them because they're the only people in the building. So, uh, that was, that was pretty surreal. i playing in front of them. I was, uh, just a young kid, kind of starry-eyed a little bit, but um, I think it, it ended up being a good thing for me because uh, if that was the start of the year, I don't think I would have made uh, Swift. I was hurt. That was my U18 year, my first U18 year, my 16-year-old year, so I, I don't think I would have made Swift. I was hurt for a while. Would have been just basically like doing rehab and stuff for two months, but um, I think we started in March. March, April, I think was the, the bubble, uh, so it gave me time to get used to it. Um, and I, I came in, and uh, the biggest thing for me was just, just getting confidence, uh, realizing that it's hockey. remember my first game was against uh, Peyton Krebs. Um, he was he was pretty ridiculous in that league. So I uh, just watched him at the World Juniors a couple months before, and I also was playing against him, so it was pretty cool for me and my family. But um, the realization that it's just hockey came pretty quickly, and we got a couple injuries, and I was thrust into uh, some important situations. and then. Um, I earned whatever I got after that. I ended up playing 21, 22 minutes, and I was a 16-year-old, which um, usually doesn't happen. So I'm lucky to have that. And uh, I think, honestly, the bubble helped with that too because playing in front of nobody, and and I'm not going to say you were playing for nothing, but there was no playoffs, there was no championships, there was no, um, no even like trying to get fans in the building. Like There was no none of that. So... Uh, I was able to just play and um, not that I was handed it I, I feel like I earned it but um, I think it was a pretty good situation and I was able to come back with a taste of what the Western League was and, and honestly the confidence that I can be really good in the league so uh, I took that into the summer I had a really good summer and then uh, came in this past year it's almost like the way I look at it is like you're playing in the minors that first year almost and then you get the call to kind of the big time here what was it like getting to see fans at a WHL game that first game that you guys played in Swift there like can you take me through what it was like to actually see fans especially after you know getting that little taste kind of the year before with nobody in the building uh yeah it was it was pretty cool uh I uh I remember I think if I'm not mistaken the first goal we scored uh the year was on the power play we were playing that hat and I uh, got the puck on the power play, came down, made a move on a guy at the inside, and then slid it across to Wardo. And he put it in. Um, and the, the sound of, like, I know it's going to sound weird probably, but, like, when you hear the crowd kind of go, like, yeah, like that type of sound. Yeah. Like, that, that was pretty cool the first time that happened, honestly. Uh, the building in Swift made a little rowdy. It's, it's small, but uh, they can get loud, and they're pretty passionate, so. Uh, that was pretty cool, and obviously, I have a lot of fun playing for our fans in Swift, and I look forward to it again next year. Yeah, absolutely. I know you guys have a pretty young team this year. Obviously, missing the playoffs wasn't ideal for you, but you got a lot of returning players next year. Is there pretty high hopes for what you guys can do next year? Everybody kind of taking a step together here? Yes, for sure. Uh, we feel like we have a very good young core. Uh, six, seven guys, I think, went to the uh, U18s, uh, six on Team Canada uh, from our team, so obviously, when you're looking at that, you think that when we're 18, we should be able to make more of an impact. And um, we were close this year. We were really close. We needed one win in our last four games, a couple injuries, uh, a couple bad bounces. I ended up not being able to get it done. But 
I feel like next year we, we are going to do some damage. Uh, we have a lot of good players, a uh, decent amount of NHL draft picks, um, a lot of confidence coming in, and, and the only difference will be this year we have expectations. Um, we, need, we need to win. We're kind of entering our win-now kind of stage as a, as a 2004 group, and we're embracing that because we have confidence in ourselves and everybody's going to go back home and, uh, and put in work this summer, I guess, and, and come back uh, better than ever, and we're going to um, instill a good culture and, and be a good team. And I'm sure that you want to probably take a step in your own leadership abilities too. I know like seeing you get a chance to play top pairing minutes with the U18 team of Canada, playing you know tons of minutes at Swift Current last year. To get back there next year, what kind of leadership role do you kind of want to step into next year with this young team? Uh, I want to step into a pretty prominent leadership role. Um, I feel as though this year, when you're 17, uh, it's kind of the junior hockey dynamic. There's maybe some limitations on how much you want to say. Um, but I feel like I, I did a lot of kind of looking and listening, especially at the start of the year, um, because I feel like I have leadership capabilities, um, but I want to be comfortable doing it. So, uh, by the end of the year, I feel like I, I was, um, one of the leaders on our team. I feel like I stepped into that role and, and, uh, proud of our coach and I, uh, had conversations about that, um, kind of getting more comfortable and then. Uh, I feel like that's just kind of leading into next year. Um, I feel like I, I'm going to be a big part, as as other guys will too, and then they're going to step into leadership roles. We all kind of got to take a step uh, together, but um, I do want to step into a, a role where guys can kind of look to me and then helping out some of the younger defensemen and, and younger guys on the team. Because um, I think that'll be a, a positive for, for the Broncos organization, I guess. Owen, oh, what's the draft process been like so far for you? Like, obviously, I know the draft is still months away, but leading up to it, what's it been like for you? Uh, it's been pretty surreal. Um, I I don't know um, what it is. Uh, I don't know if anybody's used to it. I imagine the uh, guys who have been, like, really, really good for, for years now kind of had this expectance of them. Um, but if you would ask me a year ago I'd be in this position, I would have told you. You're crazy. Um, obviously, have confidence in myself, and I did then too. But uh, happened pretty fast. Uh, so it has been surreal. Um, even this, like, yes, talking to me, like it's not. I don't view it as a chore at all. I honestly view it as like, like it's pretty cool. Um, I uh, I do think there's. I'm excited for the combine. I'm excited uh, to actually get to Montreal. I, I haven't really started to get nervous yet. Um, I think that'll maybe come after the combine. And again, it's a draft. It's not, it's not really a game. Like it's, it's something that's kind of out of your control and it's definitely out of your control by the time you get to Montreal. So, um, it's been pretty cool and I'm, I'm honestly excited to, to share with my family and, and see what happens. I kind of think it's been pretty wild for you just from your answer there. Like you've been a player who's shot up a lot of draft ranking boards kind of since like the halfway point of the WHL season. Is that something that, you know, the guys are bugging you about kind of keeping you in the know, like the way that you've been climbing throughout the season in the draft boards? Yeah, I would definitely say the guys on my team pay more attention than I do. To those. <laughs> uh, I would, I, I do. I'd be lying to you if I told you don't pay attention sometimes. Uh, it, is, it is pretty cool. I, I do kind of, maybe keep tabs on it a little bit, but uh, I got screenshots being sent to our group chat and uh, stuff like, are they sure about him here? And really that must be a mistake. So uh, I try to keep my head small, obviously, but um, 
all the guys on my team have been great and, and they, they're super supportive and uh, they want to see me succeed just as much as anybody and, and they believe in me just as much as anybody. So I'm really grateful for that. And, and I mean, a step towards the draft, one of them is getting a chance to play for, for Canada, the U18s. Can you just talk me through like the moment you get that call? I'm sure there was like little conversations kind of leading up to it that it might be a possibility. But when you actually get the call or the text or the email, whatever it was, like what was that moment like to be like, wow, I get to you know, wear the Maple Leaf and represent Canada at the U18s. That's got to be an unreal feeling. Yeah, I was, uh, we lost out the night before. Uh, uh, we had watched PA uh, beat Brandon. Mm. So that kind of, that killed our chances. We were out. So next day I was uh, going to breakfast with my billets. We were in the car and, and I knew it was a possibility. I, I knew that uh, there was a possibility of it, but I got a call, uh, in the car with my billets and I was like, everybody be quiet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I got a call. I got a, I pick up the phone and, uh, Alan Miller was talking to Canada and he's, uh, just want to come, uh, come represent team Canada. And, and again, like he kind of, it doesn't feel real. Uh, grew up watching a ton of team Canada and we see those guys as, as gods almost. So, uh, to get that, that call was, um, an extremely cool feeling that honestly you can't really describe. Uh, and then again, the putting on the maple leaf feeling when you walk into the room and uh, you see you see your jersey, you see Pickering twenty seven there um, in the stall. It's, it's pretty cool and uh, something that I'll never forget. What, what do you try and take away from like a, an experience like that? I mean, you get some of the best coaches in Canada for kids your age, and you get to play with some of the best players around your age. What do you what do you try and take away when you're in that situation? Uh, my takeaways from the tournament would be, um, probably confidence. Uh, I, I did take, conf- I did take confidence away from, I, I feel like I can play with anybody. Those are the best players my age and I feel like I can be good. Uh, I, uh, I don't know, like obviously it's, it's tough to kind of look back on it. It's still kind of sour in terms of the, the finish for us. Um, we really, really wanted to, um, come away with the different results and honestly some things happen during the game where uh, you look back and uh, it could have been different and, and that, that sucks. So uh, it's tough to kind of um, take away a million positives from a tournament like that uh, where you get a result like that because it's so team driven like you're representing Canada and the expectation is to win. So uh, when you don't get that done, it, it's it's difficult but uh, I do think there's, there's a lot of things that I can take away and Obviously, it's my first international um, experience. It's my first time. I didn't make Team Manitoba when I was younger. So uh, first time representing Team Manitoba or Team Canada. Uh, and and you got to take pride in that. you gotta, you got to kind of be able to reflect on, on what that means. And um, it's obviously not the end goal, not even close to the end goal, but um, it's good to reflect. I guess, how did you feel kind of stacking up against a lot of these other players? And, and you're a guy who's projected around the first round. What did you think you stacked up like against, you know, being able to defend some of these players that are, you know, top five picks, top 10 picks? Where do you think your defense kind of fit against them? Uh, I didn't feel overwhelmed hmm. uh, ever, to be completely honest with you. I, I didn't didn't expect to, but again, you're not really sure what you're expecting. You're going in, you've heard these names, but it was hockey. Uh, I feel like I was comfortable the whole time. Uh, felt felt uh, like I was able to to do the same things that I did all year. Um, and again, that's kind of what you take 
uh, where you can take confidence from, I guess. I got to ask about Connor Bedard. You play against him. How sick is he? Uh, he's, he's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you guys, you guys, you guys have seen him. Uh, he's, uh, his, his shot's pretty, pretty, pretty outrageous. Uh, shoots like Matthews, uh, extremely smart. He's game well. Uh, great kid. I, uh, hope he has no success against Swift next year and we're going to shut him down, but, uh, he's, he's a good player. Yeah, absolutely. I, I guess I want to ask, cause I mean, you mentioned his shot. I know that's something that, you know, from watching the tape on you, that's something that looks like, you know, you love to shoot the puck. You obviously have something that's kind of developed. It feels like over the past couple of years of just gaining a lot of power on your shot. How confident do you feel that you have one of the top, you know, shots from the point in this draft? Uh, I do feel confident in that, and I feel like it's nowhere near where it can be. I feel like when I get stronger, it's only going to get better. Um, I feel like I have an accurate shot. I feel like I know how to get through from the point. Um, but again, getting physically stronger, and I, and I work on my shot a lot. I feel like uh, I'm going to be able to score, score a lot at this level, and be able to score at the next level too. And how much confidence do you kind of get to gain in your own shooting ability and offensive ability when you get power play time on Canada's U18 team? I know, you know, we mentioned Connor Bedard. I know you set him up for a goal earlier uh, in the tournament as well. But for you to get that chance uh, to be a power play guy, be the power play quarterback, does that just kind of reinforce with what you're doing right now and being able to be an offensive guy? Yes, for sure. Uh, when you go to a tournament like that and you uh, uh, have that trust, uh, put in you by the coaching staff. Um, it's it's an it was an honor to um, be there, and I didn't take it for granted. But I also feel like I I deserve that. And, um, again, you kind of like you said, you can take confidence from that, and uh, I feel like uh, it's a positive. When you look at parts of your game that you want to improve, especially next season, I know you want to get back to the dub, get an opportunity to to be a leader there with Swift, it, but. Is there a part of your game that you want to kind of round out? I know you've talked about kind of, you know, building your, your body just physically and being able to be a little bit more physical, I guess is what you're saying when you start to fill out a little bit more. Is that, is that kind of what you're aiming for as the goal next year to be like a focus on improvement? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a big thing um, for this summer. I feel like my game is going to uh, take off next year. Uh, this is a huge summer for me. I feel like this is really the first summer where, um, kind of like my trainer said, I can grow outwards, not just upwards. Uh, so I'll, I'm going to work extremely hard and um, I'm gonna surprise a lot of people next year. Uh, so yeah, I would say that's a big focus. And then just um, my physical play, kind of uh, closing plays in the corner fast and then not just relying on my feet and the stick to, to play defense. And did I understand that your your cousin is Denton Mat- uh, Matichuk as well? Is that your cousin? Yeah. You guys yeah, have definitely. like you guys have like a bet going to see who gets drafted first because you guys are like so up and down and throughout a lot of the draft rankings. Like I gotta wonder, is there like a side bet for who gets picked first in this draft or what? No, there's <laughs> not a side bet going. I don't know. I'm uh we've talked about it, but uh I think I think it's uh it's pretty cool and I'm I'm excited uh for him. He had a really good year. Um obviously there's a bit of competition there and uh that's that's just natural, but um, it's all in all in good fun, and I'm, uh, I think he's going to have a lot of success and super happy for him. That's awesome, and I know you guys kind of grew up in the same area uh, of Manitoba and Winnipeg kind of area. Did you guys ever play as like a pairing together? Would that uh, been something you had in the past? Yeah, yeah, I played with him since. Uh, I played I played Pee Wee Double A with him, uh, and then I played like back to when we were like eight. We played the same spring team, so. Uh, all 
you know, kind of minor hockey. I was playing with him. I didn't play on his pairing in Bantam. Um, and then in U18, he stayed in Eastman, and I went to RHA. But um, from about 8 to eight to 13, I think we would have played uh, together a lot. Wow. We must have been quite the pairing as, like, 8 to 13-year-olds. <laughs> you guys must have had some fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we did have some fun. That's awesome, man. Well, well, Owen, we'll wrap it up there, man. Really appreciate you taking the time here. You got, uh, I'm sure, a, a very exciting next two months for you. And we're excited to see what happens with you in the draft here. And uh, and all the best, man. Thanks for taking the time today. Uh, thank you so much for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Our thanks to Owen Pickering for joining the podcast. Chris, what a great talker he was. Yeah, good kid. I, I loved his answer, like, just talking about the draft process. Just, like, if you told him that a year ago, he would have been... You wouldn't have believed yeah. just like blown away. Like, yeah, down to earth kid. Uh seems like he knows what he's got to work on quite a bit. And like you said, like the kid just grew so much. He's a he's still growing, like this year. He's gonna get to six five. He's got a really strong shot. Really like the way that he skates through the neutral zone. Like he's he doesn't need in the WHL, he doesn't need like that much forward support to move the puck out. He can either use his partner or skate it out by himself. There's a lot of plays last year, even on the power play where he's just sitting there back behind his net. You know, the winger comes by with the flyby and he just takes it and just beats the first guy with his own skating ability to see that from a six foot five defenseman. It's pretty impressive stuff. There's a reason why he's been climbing the rankings so much. I've seen Craig button had him as high as 13. I I don't know if he goes as high as 13, but a lot of rankings still have him kind of in the early second round. This is the option that I like for the Canucks. If, if they're looking to trade down and get out of that 15 spot and add some assets, maybe a second round pick or something they can add. I really like Owen Pickering late in the first round. He's just got such a raw talent. Like they're the knocks on his game are that, you know, he's a little bit, uh, a little bit, not so refined defensively. And he's not able to use that six foot five frame yet, but you kind of heard him talk about it. Like he just, he needs to get bigger and stronger. And he was confident going into next season that that's going to be something he worked on. And I love the confidence in the kid's shot. Like he, he should have confidence in that shot. We talked about Shane Wright last week, having, uh, you know, confidence in him being a number one, but like to me, Owen Pickering does have one of the best shots from the point in this draft. Like not only, you know, out of defensemen or out of guys like outside of the first round, like in this whole draft, he has one of the best shots from the point as a defenseman. So I really like that. And a lot of people that I've, I've seen this floated around a little bit on social media lately of like, Hey, when you're looking at a partner for Quinn Hughes, whether it be like on the power play or at five on five, it'd be nice to have a big body that can shoot the puck with Quinn Hughes so that he can dance and do what he does in the offensive zone and then have that option for the one timer at the point. I don't know. I'm not saying Owen Pickering's the perfect pairing guy for him moving forward, or even if he, one of those guys can play the right side, but we'll have to see what happens moving forward with defensemen. I just, I, I really like the kid. What a great interview. Uh, really good to talk to him. Uh, and yeah, definitely. Definitely enjoyed that last, uh, I don't know, I told him like 10, 15 minutes. We ended up going at least 20 there. I don't even know the time on that. Yeah, that was fantastic. Really good talker. And it was really interesting to me to hear him say like, you know, I was smaller, so I watched guys like Quinn Hughes. Also, 2004 birth year is making me feel old when I'm talking to this kid. Okay, you're not allowed to say that on the show. (laughs) It's true, though. I'm like, 2004, holy smokes. I was four when this kid was born. Anyway, um, Owen Pickering. Really good talker, but it was really interesting to me when he pointed out, like, yeah, like I watched guys like Quinn Hughes and kind of modeled my game at five seven, been there, um, you know, being a smaller guy, modeling my game like that, and now he's like, and I haven't lost that game now that I'm six five, so it's a really unique skill set, and it reminds me, dare I say it, 
of Tyler Myers. So I'm okay. high on this prospect. Here we go. Now here's, the thing with Owen Pickering is like you watch the tape and, and it is right because like the camera view in the WHL a lot of the times is like really low. And it's just like you just see this massive guy like <laughs> cutting through the neutral zone with the puck out of the defensive zone. And you're like, something doesn't look right. Like the way that he moves with confidence through his own zone to kind of break out the puck. And like I said, he's he's a one man breakout machine in the WHL right now. And I think he's just going to improve quite a bit even more in next season. Already put up a good year, scored nine goals uh, in 62 games for Swift Current this past year. And yeah, I, I really like the potential in this kid. I think he's got one of the highest like just raw hockey potential to be, you know, you look at players in the draft and you always want to get like a top line player or a top pairing defenseman. If this kid continues to grow, like not even like just in like in height, like even if he get, if he Grows gets to six, game. six, awesome. But like if he's able to really just like groom around the parts of his game that are kind of rough around the edges right now, man, there's a lot of just raw potential in this kid. I know he's, he's kind of projected somewhere in the 20 to 35 range right now. I, I just wonder if a team might want to kind of take the swing on him because it's not like like Klimovich was a swing, right? Drafting Daniel Klimovich that high in the second round was a pretty big swing because he had a one really good tournament. This kid, just like you watch him play, and it's not just from one tournament that you see the potential. You see it like every game that he plays where it's like, oh, he just he moves so well for his size. Like he's he's got things that look like with a little bit of better coaching, a little bit of better development it could be at an elite level. Like I do really like the way that this kid plays. And I was really happy to hear that. Like he was a great kid to talk to too. He was great. This is one, that's one of the best prospect interviews I think we've ever done. I, that was awesome. I agree. Yeah. You can't teach size. Keep that in mind. Oh, I know that quads. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say like at the halfway point, I thought you were going to ask him for some tips. Yeah. I was like, so, so did you like stretch? Like, how much milk do you drink? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> did you just reach for the sky really high and yeah. see what happens? You go to sleep with your arms up and that's what happens. You grow. All right. Uh, okay. Again, our thanks to Owen Pickering, potentially available for the Canucks if they decide to dra- uh, trade down, which, by the way, Chris, one of the predictions in my article today that went up on CanucksArmy.com, seven predictions for the Vancouver Canucks offseason that I authored today. Been working on it for a while. Somehow didn't talk about it on the podcast until now, but basically... I put out seven predictions. One of them was Bester's qualifying offer. And this was really interesting to me because Jim Rutherford spoke on the Daily Faceoff Rundown podcast and was asked flat out by Frank Saravalli about qualifying Brock Besser, giving him that $7.5 million qualifying offer. Because around the industry, that's the big bad wolf, right? Like people are talking about Brock Besser's qualifying offer as if it's this crazy thing that needs to be avoided i wrote about club elected arbitration which would uh you know potentially sour the relationship relationship a bit with besser and his camp uh because that's what arbitration literally does every year uh when teams go to arbitration with players they uh you know it has a reputation for making players not love what their club is saying about them but doesn't sound like at this time according to thomas dretz and rick dollywall of the athletic that the canucks are exploring that option So when Rutherford spoke, it didn't come as much of a surprise to hear him say, yeah, we're going to sign him to that qualifying offer if we can't find a deal. It's not a, okay, what are we going to do? Rutherford said, yeah, we can fit that in if we need to. Uh, That's going to be step one. But all they have to do is qualify Brock Besser. It doesn't necessarily mean that Besser is going to accept the deal, right? Like that's just a deadline. There's a deadline to qualify your restricted free agents so that you can still have exclusive negotiating rights. A few years back, the Canucks didn't qualify Troy Stetcher, right? right. Qualifying offer was high. Uh, there was some pushback from some, some upper parts of the uh, 
of the organization to not bring back Stetcher. And that was why they lost Stetcher ultimately in free agency. But with Besser, it's not a, okay, we can't qualify him. It's we can qualify him, but we can still come to an agreement. We can still come to another deal. There can be a verbal agreement that they'll, they'll, they'll come to an agreement aside from the qualifying offer itself. Yeah, I think this is the next step for the Vancouver Canucks' offseason is to get this this deal like in the works with Brock Besser, whether it be something that we see before the draft or maybe after the draft, evaluate what's going to happen, potentially probably explore some trade options as well because you mentioned it. A lot of people look around the league at that RFA, and it is like a complicated situation for the next contract with Besser, especially if he's traded. So I think the Canucks want to get this deal done, and I'll tell you what. Might be a good time to strike right now because uh, Brock Besser's agent's probably a pretty happy dude. Ben Hankinson represents Jake Ottinger. He's probably huh. seeing money in his eyes right now. Um, so I think that you know this this is a good time to to kind of work with Besser, try and get this deal done, and uh, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what uh, what the new management regime does. I mean, they didn't draft this player; uh, they've only had this player on their roster for you know a handful of months. So there's not like a crazy connection. I think Brock Besser wants to be here. I think he wants to be part of this core. I think he kind of knows where he fits in the hierarchy of where the Canucks core really kind of is. Like he's not at the level of Thatcher Demko or Elias Patterson or even Bo Horvat, but he's kind of slides in just underneath those guys, depending on what happens with JT Miller moving forward. But like, I think he knows where he fits with this Canucks team. And I think he wants to be here. I, I'm, I'm thinking that they're going to get a pretty decent deal done. And I think from hearing Jim Rutherford talk about it, and his hit on the DFO rundown, like it's going to be two or three years. It sounds like it sounds like like he said there was some options that could go for long, but something that they sounded most comfortable with was going to be that two to three year range, and that yeah. gets him to to twenty eight. He can hit free agency if he gets to that point, but it's like this year, like he'll get paid a decent amount on a two to three year deal, but if he really wants to get paid when he's twenty eight. Like he's got to rip it up in these two to three years. So I, I like the option there for the Canucks. Yeah, the Canucks have options. I think that's the key word, right? Is that they have options. Another yeah. prediction I gave: Canucks get Horvat done this off season, which we'll take a pause from the predictions to bring us to our poll question. Brought to you by Atlas Goods. Go to atlasgds.com. Use promo code CC15 to get 15% off your first order of pop rinds. These are the best fresh pork rinds. Come straight out of your microwave or air fryer. We're excited. Atlas Atlas Goods. We're going to be uh, extending our, our partnership with them, and we're hey. very excited. More pork rinds. More pork rinds. You, take, you know what you do? You take the pork rinds, you fry them up, get them in the air fryer, fry them up, put a little bit of seasoning on them, whatever you want, and here's what you do. You dip them in the HP sauce quads. The HP fruity, you gotta. It's tough to find. You gotta find it in like the British part of uh, of the grocery stores. It's a tough sauce to find, but it's the, the best sauce out there. It's great source. It's it's <laughs> HP fruity. I tell you right now, we're not sponsored by them, but we are we are by uh, by Atlas. I have never had. A little, isn't that called brown sauce? I think to I think somewhat. Yeah. So I looked at the McDonald's UK menu. Of course you did. Yeah. And no free ads, but you know everybody knows McDonald's. Uh, went to their menu. And I was looking at their breakfast menu. It was like muffin, and it's an English muffin, but they just call it a muffin. Okay. Muffin with brown sauce. And that was it. I was like, what? Wow. This is, and you like spread it on the muffin, the English muffin. I, I, well, I, I think, yeah. messaged resident, uh, resident English listener of the podcast, Luke, uh, Luke, the bartender from Twitter, and he told me this is very normal. Like, he's like, it's not as crazy as you think. Like, it's good. It's the HP sauce. I was like, interesting. Okay. I've never had it. Never had it. I like the HP. That's my favorite. The fruity one, I tell you, like, people get mad at me when I got a nice steak, and they're like, you don't need, you don't need sauce. You put HP sauce on 
steak? I, I just dip it in the side. Yeah, that's everyone oh says. Oh, gosh. you ruined it. You ruined a yeah, good steak. You did. Dip it in sauce. No, you don't. I put Sweet Baby Ray's on steak, and I put HP sauce on it too. Okay. All right. It's good stuff. Our poll question today brought to you again by Atlas Goods. Go check them out. Locally owned company. You dip it in HP. That's what I'm saying. Our question today, what happens first this Canucks offseason? A Horvat extension, a Miller trade, a Miller extension, and as always, I'm angry. Chris, I'll break these down before getting into the results because we need an approximate timeline for all of these things. A Horvat extension, we assume it'll get done. Like, There's a lot of talks that it'll get done. It's not going to be cheap to re-up a 30-goal scorer and... The Canucks may want to wait until next offseason. Horvat is under contract for next season, coming off 30 goals. The risk there is that he only takes another step forward, and you know maybe he adds some assists to go with that point total, right? Because he only had 23 assists on the season, 30 goals. 52 points is pretty good, mm-hmm. but 30 goals is the big kind of benchmark and a 30 goal center who's playing big minutes for your team, you know, playing on both special teams, a big part, you know, he's the captain. That's not going to come cheap. Uh, I threw out the prediction that if they sign an extension this off season, it'll come in uh, at six years at 7 million. I had someone on the team side, not the Canucks um, say that they assumed it would be six, six by 7.5. I I think it'll be a little bit lower. I think, you know, it it has the potential to go down to 6.5. If you're considering that Horvat might want to take some sort of hometown discount, you know, there's value in stability as well is what I was told by someone on the team side that I spoke to. Um, so it's not just, uh, well, the Canucks should should wait. It's Horvat will want to get this done as well, right? And there's value in stability. You never know what's going to happen in that final year of his contract. Uh, and, and there is value in stability. This might be a time where it makes sense for both the club and the player to get the extension done. Can't officially start talking extension, or they can't officially sign extension, excuse me, uh, until July 13th. That is free agency, but... This kind of ties into the Miller one as well because Miller, same boat, looking for an extension. Rutherford spoke again on the DFO Rundown podcast and said that by the draft, they will have a pretty good idea of where they're at in contract negotiations with both of these players. He was specifically asked about Miller and basically said Patrick and Patrick is going to start having conversations and then, you know, Emily is going to be a big part of that. Emily Castonguay, obviously assistant general manager with the Canucks. We know she has the player agent background. She has the law degree, all that sort of stuff. She'll be in charge of, you know, structuring the contract um, is our understanding after Patrick Alvin uh, and her work together. Yeah, those two deals. And even if the deals don't get done, like I think even if, you know, Miller, if they can't find a number that works, and I think Horvat's going to find one that works. Like Emily Castonga is going to, this is where she brings a lot to the organization. I think it's just dealing with the players, dealing with the agents, dealing with contracts, like yeah. getting contracts done or at least figuring out like the lowest possible money that can hit the Canucks cap. I, this is where I think she's going to bring a lot of worth to this Canucks team. Yeah, you're right. And, and the other option, a Miller trade, obviously that would take place. Uh, well, not obviously necessarily, but at the draft is when we're assuming yep. that was one of my predictions in the article uh, is that they will trade JT Miller at the draft or shortly thereafter. Chris, the results so far with 58% of the vote, Miller trade is the first thing that happens this offseason. 40% say a Horvat extension and 3% say I'm angry. What percent say the Miller resigning? Nobody has said a Miller extension really? is the first thing that happens this offseason. Not one. And we're looking at 133 votes. Just put it up. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm in the I'm with the people on this one. 
Uh, I, I think it's going to be the Miller trade first. And I, I'm kind of with you where I voted Miller trade. I don't think it's necessary, but I think the Canucks would like to add some picks in this draft with the Miller draft capital. I think they want to be able to add picks at the 2022 draft with Miller, or at least gives them some picks that they can sort of play with potentially move those picks after they trade for him. I, I I'm with the people here. I think it is the Miller trade first. Yeah. I think you're right. But I don't think the Horvat one's going to be much longer after July 13th. Like I think they're going to have yeah, that done. I think I, think, that, I think that's a quick one. Yeah, I don't think you're going to go into next season without Horvat having an extension. I think they'll maybe they don't get it done on like on the 13th or the 14th of July. But I I would bet that the Horvat deal is done before the season starts for sure. Yeah, like it, you know, there's a chance it doesn't. And you're right. Maybe maybe Horvat's side or the Canucks' side wants to at least see what happens with another season. But I think they get this deal done in the offseason here. Before we get to training camp, I think we'll have a Horvat extension. I think you are right. Do you have any predictions that maybe weren't listed uh, in my article? Well, you had one about uh, yeah, trading Yeah, I've down. got a few. I've got a few. Uh, trading, trading down, down. I think, yeah. I'll let you kind of talk about that because that's one that I kind of got from you, if I'm being honest. Just conversations with you uh, was trading down. My, my Basically, my prediction is that the Canucks won't select 15th overall. Yeah. So, I mean, like, there's a perfect example of what you can get in return for the 15th pick. It literally happened at the last draft, right? Like, the last draft, the, the Dallas Stars traded the 15th overall pick to the Detroit Red Wings in exchange for the 23rd pick in the draft and the 48th pick in the draft and a fifth-round pick. That sounds pretty damn good to me if I'm the Vancouver Canucks and I know what kind of prospect pool you have. Being able to, to add a pick that's eight picks later, a second round pick that's in the early, like about the mid part of the second round and adding a fifth round pick on top of that. Like if this is the most recent trade and it's literally the exact same pick, the 15th overall pick in a draft where I feel like is stronger this year than it was last year. So I I would think that that would be a very good comparable and a possibility for the Canucks. I think that's a very smart move. They can get a second round pick, a late round pick, and then a pick that's, you know, seven to 10 spots down from there. Absolutely, they should push for that. There's there's a lot of examples of these as well, like Arizona moving up to get Victor Soderstrom. They give up a second-round pick that was a high second-round pick for them to move up four spots from 15 to 11, uh, as well as the, the Rangers as well. They traded at the 2018 draft, traded up from 26 to 22, and they throw in a second-round pick as well. So you have to look at... I wanted to evaluate at least what some of the recent things have been for the for the draft when you trade down from the first round pick, especially in that 10 to 20 range. And it, it's a second round pick. That's what it is. Even if you're trading down, you know, five spots, like you're adding a second round pick. That's so much value for a Canucks team that obviously doesn't have a second round pick in this coming draft and just needs to add those type of players. Like say you draft the best player available in the first round uh, at 20 after you trade down and it's a winger. Sure, that's great, but second, then you add a second-round pick, then you get the defenseman there because you need to get defenseman in this draft. I've been saying it for so long on the show. I'm still in the camp of, like, if, if there's a really good defenseman in the first round, you want to take that guy. Trade-down option, I don't know. We just talked to him. Owen Pickering, he trade down into the 20s. He might be your guy right there um, if you're pretty high on him, and I expect the Canucks to be pretty high on him. So, like, there's a lot of options, man. I wrote about Sam Renzel as well, the right D. He's in that kind of range if you trade down. Uh, Leon Bichel is the six foot five defenseman out of the SHL. Really good pick there. Uh, and Noah Oslin, if you want to go with a forward center who just has such a high motor. Like, I, I do like the idea of trading down. And I saw that in your article, and I was like, it's it just makes too much sense. Like, you need to add 
depth at your prospect pool more than just like one pure talent. Like the yeah. Canucks need so much. It's like what Botch said, man. Like they need an army of prospects and they do not have anything close to an army right now. They need to get, I know that, you know, quality is obviously huge, but yeah. I think you can find quality in quantity if you're drafting, you know, multiple times in the top 50. And I think that's just the way the Canucks need to look at it. It's like, Hey, yeah, you can get one really, really good player at 15. Or you can get multiple really good players in the top 50. I like the idea of getting multiple guys in the top 50. And if you trust your scouting department, which really sounds like the Canucks do, again, they're leaning heavily on the analytics department. You look at some of those late-round picks, like Lucas Forcell, for example. That uh, looks to be a really good pick. You know, the Victor Persons of the world. Um, you know, the Canucks are very Eagle collaborative. Eagle Gabrielson, like, just talked to him today. We're going to yeah. have an article up on Canucks Army. Yeah, this collaborative uh, approach from the front office, I think, bodes well for the draft. Yep, I agree with you at that point. So I, I'm, I saw that in the article. And I said, yeah, I don't, I don't think the Canucks should be picking at 15. I think that they understand the value, and I think they'll move down. I think they'll get into the 20s. I think they'll add a second round pick. Hopefully, add another late round pick, even if it's at this year or next year's draft, and you know, select more than 14 guys in the next two drafts. That's what I think a big goal of the Canucks has been uh, going into this draft, and I think that's what they're going to do. I don't think you know, right now going into it, they have 13 picks in the next two drafts. I don't think they're going to take 13 players. I think they're going to take upwards of 15 to closer to 20 players in the next two drafts because they need that. They need to have a pipeline that's producing NHL players that now that you have the AHL team here, you've heard Rutherford talk about how important he wants the AHL team to be. You have the investment from Francesco Aquilini. Like the owner wants the AHL team to be something that, that he's pretty proud of, like being uh, something that he brought to British Columbia as just like as an owner, as a businessman, this, this is something that he's brought to his home province I think they're going to put a lot more into development in the AHL. And I think that that can start with drafting a lot of top end prospects that can get to the AHL first. Quickly. I just wanted to get this in. Uh, Noah Strang uh, at Canucks Army. He has been, you know, a rock, especially, you know, when you were away, he really stepped up. And Noah has been massive uh, for us at Canucks Army. He's got something today that I thought was a really, really good piece. Why John Tavares play in the playoffs should be a warning to the Canucks about extending JT Miller long-term. Tavares put up some points in the playoffs, but he was a liability uh, on the ice at 5-on-5. Five five. Significantly um, skewed against the Leafs in terms of scoring chances when Tavares was on the ice. You know, one, like I, I think he was third worst, uh, Noah pointed out uh, in the article. So go give that a read. Go give Noah a follow. He's been massive for us at Canucks Army. Um, and this was a really good article that came out, uh, you know, talking about you know, Tavares' deal maybe looked great when you first signed it, like a JT Miller extension would, and Tavares was 27 when that happened. Yeah. Um, you know, Miller would be 30, obviously. You're looking at two different players, sure, but you're also looking at a player who the foot speed is just gone, it looks like. Yeah. And that's the worry with Miller, I think. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think Miller's effort level is something a lot different than Tavares, but you can also make the argument that like Tavares was one of the best players in the league for a while. You know, Miller is one of the best players last year. Was he the Tavares, best? Tavares scored 30 goals like three times before yeah. he got to the Leafs. Yeah. I mean, it is going to be tough to see what kind of deal. Like, I am so curious. If there was like one thing I could learn and just like be the fly on the wall for, it would be like, what's the Vancouver Canucks' final offer for JT Miller? Like, what's the best offer the Canucks can give? Because they obviously have a number that they don't want to go over or years that they don't want to go over. I'm so, if I could learn one thing, it would be like, what's the Canucks' last stand, 
the highest they'll go for JT Miller because I don't think they're going to get to JT Miller's request. I don't think so either. I'm and I, super curious to know what the Canucks' I, best deal is. From everything I have heard and from conversations I've had, that number starts with a seven mm-hmm. and it will not start with an eight for yeah. the Canucks. Yeah, and that's I that's think, just not enough. I don't and you think. flip that. That's what the Miller camp's looking for. It has to at least start with an eight. Yeah. And it's got to be something at six, seven years, I think. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and I don't think I wish that's the that. one thing. If I could get one tidbit, if you're listening to this, you work for the Canucks and you know. <laughs> you're a little disgruntled. Hit me up. If you work at the Triple O's and you're upset yeah, about yeah, them yeah. running out of pickles. Go on your burner. <laughs> if Patrick Alvin's listening, get on your burner. Shoot me a, just a minute. Just let me know. I won't tell anyone. <laughs> I won't tell anyone. Just tell me how, how high you're going to go. And that's it. That's all I want to know. Oh, no, man. I got some uh, prospect stuff. You got any more? No, but this was reporting 101 by you. Yeah. GM of the team, if you're listening to this, make a burner and send me a message. I won't tell anybody. You'd be surprised who listens to the show, Quads. You'd be surprised. I wouldn't be. I, I, I know I know okay. exactly who you're thinking of. But, okay, continue. Travis Green. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> just uh, prospect report. Talked to Aiden McDonough this morning. Talked to Hugo Gabrielson this morning. And talked to Jacob Truscott. This morning. Uh, so let's start with McDonough. He uh, took took like a week off. Went home for a little bit. Saw some friends. He's right back at Northeastern. Uh, this this is a kid like, you know, everyone dumped on him. Or, I wouldn't say dumped on him, but it was kind of let down when he didn't want to leave school. Education is so important to Aiden McDonough and his family. He's back already in summer classes right now. He's getting a chance. He told me to work out every morning, 7 a.m. They're in the gym, him and his teammates that decided to stick it out uh, for the summertime and do some summer classes. And the reason they're doing summer classes is when the season gets going, they want to have a pretty like a lighter course load, but still maintain the credits that they need to be eligible athletes in the NCAA. So they're taking all of their hard classes like in the summer right now to like just make sure they can grind out this summer here and be ready for a big season next year. And for McDonough, that's going to be huge. Like he's, he could be one of the, he should be like, I think I've said this before. He should be one of the top three scorers in the NCAA next year from the way that he's playing and hopefully improving as well. I expect him to be the captain of Northeastern next year. And I expect to see him in the top three for scoring in the NCAA. So uh, I'll chat with him a little bit more. We just had like a little back and forth, but we're going to have a longer chat and I'll get that uh, on Canucks army here pretty soon. Hugo Gabrielson. We're going to chat about his off season a little bit more. We just went back and forth. Nothing really to update from there, but I'll have something on him in the next uh, few days about how his season went. He got an opportunity to play the U twenties with Sweden, which is really exciting. We'll see if he gets that opportunity as well at the summer version of the world juniors, but promising sign to see that he was able to get a little bit of play with U20 that maybe the winter the the 2023 World Juniors Gabrielson might be an uh an option for Sweden and I think a lot of that is because he can play the right side like Sweden's got a lot of really good left shot defensemen coming into this World Juniors and the fact that Hugo Gabrielson is a left shot guy who can play the right and is super comfortable probably more comfortable on the right side should give him an inside track to play World Juniors this year um and then finally who else did I talk Jacob Truscott out of Michigan. I, I have something. Can I? Can I? Actually, you go ahead. Just tell quickly me, on, yeah, quickly on Truscott. Big fan of Simmons Toast Crunch. We all know that uh, when he joined the show. But I'm excited to see uh, what Jacob Truscott does next year with Michigan. We'll get a full wrap up of how he thought he performed this year, what he's looking for next year, because Michigan basically like cleared out a lot of their defense core. Seeing Nick Blankenberg right now playing for Team USA over uh, at the World Championships right now. Owen Power obviously moving on. So there's there's a lot of opportunity at Michigan next year. They're going to have a strong team. They always do. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where Truscott fits in because he did a lot of different things for Michigan this year. He played penalty kill. He played the right side. He played with Owen Power. He, he did a lot of different things this year, like quietly, 
It'll be interesting to see if he can get more of a spotlight on him if he does kind of play these certain roles that he developed in his first year with Michigan, but now can like take it to the next level. It might be a prospect of note uh, moving forward here. And the thing that I'm going to chat with all of them about later on in the week is the Vancouver Canucks' development camp. The thing that I was told when I asked Patrick Alvina about it at the end of year availability is that the goal is to have all the NCAA players there, all the European players there. They want to get all of them over here. So, uh, you know, something I'm obviously going to talk about with these prospects is their expectations for that, how nice it will be to finally do that because we just haven't seen a development camp for the Vancouver Canucks in years. So that's uh, that's the huge thing that I'm looking forward to in the offseason. All right, you ready for my prospect report? <sighs> yeah, I guess so. Linus Carlson has won the SHL Rookie of the Year Award. This, of course, after the 22-year-old Carlson uh, broke Elias Pettersson's rookie goal-scoring record, uh, or points, rather, um, record in the SHL, has won the Rookie of the Year Award, is now representing Team Sweden at the World Championships in Finland right now, alongside the captain of that team, Oliver ekman Larson. Again, that's a guy that uh, Carlson, of course, will be at the development camp in july down at ubc vancouver so that'll be fun to get a look uh at carlson yeah can we do a little non-hockey thing before we get out of here yeah and the, quickly just the last thing to add to that is you know with carlson the canucks have all but agreed to uh a contract with him according to drance and Dollywall. um that's basically done yeah yeah that'll be done soon that'll be uh carl tournament be tournament ends on may 29th after that he's gonna sign yeah That'll be good. They get have till early June to get it done, so they will immediately, I think. Okay, you done? Yep. Put this tweet out the other day. Poll question. What's the best dip for nachos? I'm not saying I was surprised by the answer. I had a feeling salsa was going to run away with this, but I thought sour cream's number two for like what you dip in salt in for nachos. Like oh, the, yeah. So if you have the, like, everyone's like, so the question I put out, what's the best dip for nachos? Salsa, sour cream, guacamole, or queso? Everyone's like, Oh, it's all of them. You get all of them. That's not the question. Obviously, that's the best option is to have all of them. The best is salsa, I think, for sure, especially good salsa. Like, But I also don't like certain salsa that's too chunky. I like my salsa like a little. Yeah, same. I like it. There's certain places you get it, like from the good like Mexican restaurants that yeah. it's like it's almost it's so fine. All the vegetables are like chopped up so fine. That's the best to me because you get a good amount of flavor in it. And you don't get these big chunks of peppers and onions, which I'm not a huge fan of. But sour cream came in last. I'm, that no, seems a little ridiculous to me. Okay, so so here's my hot take, Chris. I would almost put sour cream above salsa. That's I, how much I like sour cream on nachos. You know what was cr- like? I put this tweet out because I only had queso in the house. When I had nachos the other day, I was watching some Game 7s, making some nachos, and I only had queso. And I was like, that's random. Like, queso is like normally the last thing you have. Like, uh, guacamole and sour cream and salsa so it was a little surprised that's all i had left but i knew queso wasn't gonna win i just thought that th- like the best thing to do with nachos is you have a bowl and it's half salsa and half sour cream and then you just you dip in that nice little middle and you get like a good amount of sour cream good amount like just enough salsa to kind of blend it but you don't need to mix it you just you're dipping into that perfect spot where where they meet in yeah, the middle. yeah yeah and that just blew me away that that sour cream came in last That's of the ridiculous. four. Sour cream's a strong number two for me. Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing: is people will feel more strongly about guac or queso as their number one. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if that's necessarily indicative of people's ranking. You understand what I mean? Yeah. You know what we need, like on Twitter polls, is to to have a ranking system, like yeah. a one, two, three, four, the way you select it. Because yeah, so many times you don't get the, like the full response really. 
Honestly, when we're like starved for content in the off season, I'll let you do a Faber's food survey. Yeah, I'll do a full. We can do <laughs> a full Canucks show. Army, yeah, yeah, it'll be like a, a special in the off seasons, but especially because like we'll get to it in about what we'll get to episode three hundred in about uh, just over like sixteen, seventeen weeks from now. I guess we'll be into the season by then, though. Yeah. Dang. Probably can't do it then. Can't but do a food special for season. We'll figure something Maybe 275 out. has a nice little ring hey, to it. We've been talking about doing the Canucks Army Awards for a long time. Like, we did the, re- we did already. the Reader's Choice. Right. Um, but, like, the Canucks Convo Awards. Remember? We were talking mm. about doing this. Like, very... Not about the team. Like, about the listeners of the show and okay. Twitter and stuff. Uh, so we'll maybe do that. Do you have anything else to add before I close it up here? Well, if we do the award, Disto is going to be cleaning up. He always tells us how to oh, pronounce things. Disto's and, perfect. Disto is yeah. probably our longest listener. No, mm, I don't know if Disto was there from the start. There might be some Nanaimo people. Yeah, there's a couple. Well, maybe they probably fell off at certain points, but uh, I know that uh Young Judd's been there since like Young episode, Judd, yep. episode three or two or yeah, something. That's right. A lot of people skipped the first episode of the show because it was Kurt Appleby. And all we did was talk about Shotgun Jake the whole young, time. Young Judd was like 13 years old when he yeah, started he was listening to the show. Early guest on the We've show. We've seen well. Young Judd grow. Yeah, you You've know, seen me grow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true too. Um, what was it? There was one more thing I wanted to bring up here. I don't think it was about nachos anymore. I just wanted to cover that whole nacho situation. Though, yeah, this was this is what it was. It was the replies to this nacho. These people, they come in here and they start telling me that seven layer dips, the best thing in the world. Seven layer dip is the most overrated food item. And no, I know I've okay. said this before. It's the most overrated food item out there. It's seven things that are pretty decent or not even. It's like three things that are pretty good and four things that suck. And you put them all together. It doesn't make it the best dip in the world. Seven layer dip is the most overrated thing. And dipping nachos in a seven layer dip, that's ridiculous. I, you're you're ruining your nachos dipping it in a seven layer dip. I know people are going to not agree with this take, but I stand by this take. Seven layer dip is the most overrated food in the world. I totally disagree with you. Like, it's so overrated. Maybe not with nachos, but with just chips. You're out to lunch if you don't think that dipping just chips and seven layer dip is the best. That's that's a ridiculous take. It's it's the by far, by far the most overrated. Everybody loves it. That's all the replies I got in there. Yeah, what even is whatever. the brown thing in seven layer bean, dip? It's like a bean mix. That's ridiculous. And you put olives on top. You don't have to. You well, then should. What, if well, you're then it's cultured. not a seven layer dip anymore. Uh, yeah, it is. There's what else other. Do you put? Li- okay, so there's sour cream. There's cheese. There's I can't name them all off the top of my head, but there's a lot on there. There's taco seasoned beef. Guacamole, sour go. cream, cheese, tomatoes, green onion, and olives. First of all, green onion, to call that one of the seven is ridiculous. That's like a tiny little topping. That's a, what, a garnish? You're going to call it garnish part of your seven layers? That's ridiculous. And the other one's olives. It, you could get away with five layers of it being pretty. Listen, well, they make six-layer dip. Well, pff, why don't anyone bring it up in the poll question? Everyone's bringing up seven-layer dip. seven's better. Because green onions is going to change everything. People over here get the green onions and the olives on there. It's ridiculous. Those those are two horrible things to dip nachos in. Green onions and olives? Yeah, you don't just dip the nachos in. Okay, and I explained this if to you If I already. took a bite of nachos and you told me that there was an olive on it, I would throw that plate in your face. That's a little extreme. Well, yeah. If you just were like, hey, 
Oh, sorry. We actually didn't get the other six layers. This have, is just a bowl of olives. Have you ever had Save on Food seven-layer dip? I've had seven-layer dip a lot. No, no, no. I, I asked you a specific question. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've had seven-layer dip okay, from Save on Foods. pretty sure. I don't like that. I 80, think, I'd say I'm... Well, s- Patreon content, we run to Save on Foods. You have to look me in the eye, okay. take a bite of the chip with seven-layer dip from Save on Foods on it, where Rick Dollywell has told us they play the best tunes. Yep. You have to take a bite of that chip. 80s rock. 80s rock, baby. Good stuff. You have to try that chip, look me in the eye, and say, I do not like this. It's I'm not, not talking about nachos. No, it's I not that I nachos. don't like this. It's not even close to the best dip for nachos. It's I, I'm, I'm not even disagreeing with you, but you don't like it in the sense of chips either, which it's is It's overrated is what I'm saying. Yeah, people, people go nuts for, for seven-layer dip. You yeah. know, what's, know what food is most underrated? Yorkshire pudding. Yorkshire pudding doesn't get the respect it deserves. It's Those one of the good. best side dishes you can have. You put a little roast beef dinner together. You know what? I love mashed brown potatoes. Sauce. I've been making a lot of mashed potatoes lately. You know my mashed potato game's hot. Yeah. this It's just the people that come out of the woodwork here to talk about seven-layer dip, they're absolutely ridiculous, these people. They 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 wait for, for somebody to bring up a dip, and everybody's having a good time. We're talking about sour cream. We're talking about queso. And here comes the freaking seven-layer crowd. They come out of the freaking bushes here. And they start yelling about their olives and their green onions and their seasoned beef bean mix. They fall out of the shelves at Save on Foods. Yeah, the, these people like it's it's a religion here with the seven layer dip crowd. I don't want that's. What, I think that's what makes me the most mad about it is the people. It's not the dip. The dip is like sure it's fine, but it's the damn people that support seven layer dip so hard. I don't want to deal with those people. So I don't want them. I can't take that negativity. In my life. You just described Toronto Maple Leafs fans. Yeah, I have a feeling that they, they probably sell seven-layer dip at Toronto Maple Leafs games, and that's the reason they got knocked out in the first round. Okay. They're out there four ninety nine. All right, I'm putting a, I'm putting it into this. Uh, if Canadian. you want more of this, we're going to be off-season's coming. Patreon content, we're going to be ramping it up. So go to patreon.com slash Canucks Convo, uh, and basically you can hear full episodes of us having these kind of conversations. If we get five Patreon supporters this month... Before the end of the month. Are you about to say, I will try seven layer dip? Because that is nothing. Here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. <laughs> if we get five new Patreon supporters this month, I will eat a full thing of Save on Food seven layer dip. How big is this thing? No, no, we can't Is it like a one. thin yeah, one? Yeah, no, it's a seven layers. It's big. Oh my gosh. Yeah, seven layers can be small. One of the layers is all his quads. We're not. We could get you one about this big. I and I know all. that's great okay. for the listeners. So here's what we'll do. We do that. We get five new Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash next convo. I will eat a full thing of seven layer dip with only a spoon. Oh, what? And why are you going to make it gross? Because it already is gross. Just eat it with chips. No, but that's too easy. I'll eat it with chips. I can you do that. Eat it like soup. That's what I'm saying. That's a punishment. That's what I thought. What the? Oh, okay. Well, then I'll do it with chips. Then I was gonna say and a small bag of chips. You can have. You can. So have I have to have chips. like huge. You dips. can have some chips with huge dips, okay. and then you do have to eat it like soup as okay. well. When you I get will. Down to yeah, it. that's what I said. Uh, what I was trying to say before you rudely cut me off was like one of like the snack size bags of chips. Okay. okay. You know. Yeah, I'm on board. My with chip this. of choice, though. Okay. Potentially hickory sticks. No, I'm back what on the, is I'm, wrong with you? It's I'm tortilla back. chips. You got to have tortilla chips. A couple of years I've gone by, I haven't had the hickory sticks. Had a bag of hickory sticks the other day. Oh, man, they are good. I forgot how good they are. Those are really good on sandwiches. Oh, they're excellent. Yeah. Okay, we'll close it out there. And uh, you know what else? Look, really good food. I'll close out the food talk right here. The best food that I've had in the last little bit is the chocolate-covered pistachios with sea salt on them. 
Oh, from Costco. Went through a kilogram bag in a couple weeks. Easy. Easy peasy. Sea, sea salt, chocolate, uh, pistachios. Really living like a rich person when you're eating those. No shells. Nothing to deal with. You're living life with those puppies. All right. But can't afford another bag until uh, payday. So I'll maybe have another one in June. <laughs> All right. We'll close it out there. Uh, our, our thanks again to Owen Pickering for joining the podcast. For my co-host, Chris Faber, my name is David Guadrelli, and this has been the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.